We're going to start out our time together today by me sharing something with you. I've never done this before in my life. I've never started talking about Christmas this early. Never. I hope it doesn't bother you any because in reality, I'm just obeying God. So in the end, what does it really matter? If you obey God, you obey God. Amen. Uh, I began to look at people in the Bible that had to do with Christmas. My, my own wife asked me. There's six messages in this series. Six messages. And the first one is about a guy that you would think would be a Christmas character in the Bible, but it's uh, Zachariah. Zachariah. We're going to start off with Zachariah, and we'll explain why. My wife said, but you don't have one of those messages titled Jesus. I said, Ruthie, every single solitary one of them are dedicated to Jesus. Every one of them. Because in the lives of the people we're going to look at for the next six Sundays in a row, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus Christ did things in their lives that, that caused them to be used by God for great and magnificent things. Is there anybody here that doesn't want to be used by God for great and magnificent things? You know, think about that. I raise my hand and I won't, I'm not, without hesitation, without, you know, without pausing, I, I'd love to raise my hand. But there's a reason why when characters in the Bible are approached like, like these people are approached by angels, there's a reason why the angel starts out with the same message. What is it? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I think our perception of angels to start with is warped. It's, it's way off, you know. But let's get off into this series of messages and let's glean what God has for us. Uh, let's just have a good time with it. I, I'm glad that, that I'm starting early for Christmas this year. Huh? You know, I, I'm getting to where I pray every day against COVID fatigue. I like what this church is doing. We're still coming together. We wear a mask. We socially distance, but uh, uh, we're not shutting down. We're here. If, if people need to stay home without sarcasm, without any, any uh, reservation, I, I love the people of this church, and if you need to stay home, you have the blessing of God. You have the blessing of the people in this church. We love you. Do what you need to do to protect yourself. We're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to wear a mask. We're going to continue to conduct our lives with godly wisdom, and we're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. Amen. I say this humbly without an ounce of pride in my being. God knows my heart. He's watching over this church. There's not been a single case of COVID in this church. And we give all the glory and the honor to God. Uh, just the other day, um, I, I get calls now every week from people that say, Pastor, uh, I've been exposed to COVID. And I say, okay, let's pray. And then I tell them, go get tested. And when you get your test results, we'll give the glory to God. Amen. Like I'm open. And, and, and if anyone in this church, uh, you know what happens if anyone in this church gets COVID? I'm not like I'm opening the door for it. I'm just saying to you, I'm going to call them. I'm going to say, I'm going to call you once a day. If you can't take my call, don't take my call. I'm going to pray with you every day that I can pray with you. And you are not alone. You're not facing this by yourself. Amen. Well, having said all that, you know, a lot of it is wearing to an extent. That's what COVID fatigue. That's how you describe COVID fatigue having to do things that we're not used to doing and having certain restrictions and all. But I'll tell you what, we're, we're, we're fine. We're okay. We're moving forward. And this too shall pass. Do you hear me? This too shall pass. All right, Bible characters of Christmas is what I, I started to uh, 
to title this the Bible characters of Christmas, but I like what Nathan did with it, just characters of Christmas. Because Christmas is all about Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. Uh, this is message one, and it's titled Zachariah, the first person we're going to visit with. Now, I wrote a little note here about this series. How many of you love a good story? I love a good story. A well-crafted story contains a beginning, it contains a middle, and it has an end. The plot keeps the reader engaged as conflict moves to resolution. However, it's the characters in the story that give life to the plot. And it's, characters that, it's the characters that readers connect with and remember long after the story is told. Stop and think about some of your favorite characters in your favorite stories. How many of you remember the movie Castaway? Seen that movie? It's about the Federal Express executive named Chuck, played by Tom Hanks. Chuck was on a business trip when his cargo plane crashes in the Pacific Ocean. He survives the crash and floats on a raft to a deserted island. Chuck is not found for four years, and he lives in isolation, disconnected from humanity. Eventually, you remember, packages start washing up on the shore from the plane. Um, he, they begin floating up, and he opens them, and in one of the packages, what? What is there? Wilson. A Wilson volleyball, right? The volleyball becomes a major character in the story. Can you imagine how easy it was to sign a contract with Wilson? Chuck names him Wilson. After four years, they finally have an opportunity to make it off the island on a makeshift raft. Wilson is set on a perch on the raft, but after an intense storm, Wilson falls off that perch and into the ocean and floats away. By the time Chuck realizes Wilson is in the water, he tries to swim to him, but he is unable. Listen carefully. The sad music begins to play, and Chuck lays sprawled out on the raft, crying and apologizing to Wilson, who floats around the ocean, and don't tell me you didn't cry. <laughs> don't tell me that scene didn't get to you. Amen? As you watch and engage with the story, you can't help but have feelings of sadness over a volleyball named Wilson, who became a lonely man's friend while stranded on an island. We may not have volleyballs as friends. As a matter of fact, I hope you don't have volleyballs as friends to the audience. But a simple character like Wilson can bring life to a story and make it relatable to the audience that's watching. There's no other time of year where the celebration of a season dramatically fills the air like Christmas. Can you say amen? Yet Christmas is a powerful story of how God gave the greatest gift of his son, for the salvation of sinful people, and that will get to me before a volleyball story will any day. Amen? As God tells his great story, he uses characters that bring his story to life. In this series on the characters of Christmas, we will engage with people as they listen to and obey God's plan. Listen to me. I'm going to read that again. In this series... On the characters of Christmas, we will engage with people as they listen to and obey God's plan. There are moments when what God calls these people to do will appear to be impossible. But as we will see, obedience rules the day and the impossible becomes reality. In the way of an introduction, I want to share this with you. The first character... In the Christmas story that we're going to cover is Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. While this character is not often associated with the birth of Christ, the baby uh, he will be the father of, or the baby that he will be the father of, 
is one who will go before the Lord to prepare the way, John the Baptist. John will be born a few months ahead of Jesus and will go throughout the land preparing people for the coming Messiah. The story is not about, this story is not about John the Baptist. What we will learn from Zechariah's story is something that we can relate to. When God shows up in life and calls us to a task, we sometimes believe we have a deficiency in completing the task that God is calling us to do. That's the next thing that people run into after the angel convinces them not to be afraid is when they get the message, they go to spotting the deficiencies in their life that they think will keep them from being able to accomplish God's plan. That deficiency can be a crutch and is used to deflect us away from God's plan and to disqualify us from being used of God according to his plan. It's because we look at the magnitude of the plan instead of the magnitude of the God who's giving us the plan. Whatever we think our deficiency might be, we must always remember that God has the power to work through us despite what we believe is a problem. Listen to how God's impact on Zechariah's life, uh, worked through him when Zechariah believed his deficiency would interfere with God's plan. Let's look closely at several important puzzle pieces in the story. First of all, let's look at this as a point. Let's look at the normal function of a priest. How many of you here have a job you work? Even if you're in the home, you're working, aren't you? You have a job you work. Uh, if you're in the home, you're working. You're, there's cleaning. There's all kinds of things going on. Uh, there's just as much work going on outside the home as there is inside the home or inside the home as there is outside the home, amen? Or things don't function well. Well, let's look at the normal function of a priest here. Look in Luke chapter 1. Go to Luke chapter 1 with me. We're going to pick up at verse 5. Wow, turn around to get a little bit of sip of coffee, and I get overwhelmed by the view behind me. I catch y'all sometimes staring out there. Sometimes I have people send me notes uh, online ask me, where in the world? What is that backdrop? Is that real back there? Yeah, it's real. It's real. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 starts like this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Have we ever heard this story before? Yeah. They're not the only ones that were too old to have children, and God said, you're going to have a child, and they had one. Isn't that exciting? In Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, we learn some details concerning Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth. Luke tells us that Zechariah was a priest in the division of Abijah. Now, I'm going to quote some things back in 1 Chronicles chapter 24. And the reason why I'm going to do it is I want to let you know why Zechariah and the priests did what they did, what his job was. So we learned in 1 Chronicles chapter 24 that David organized the priests according to their appointed duties in their service. And that's in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 24, verse 3. In the temple, according to the procedure established by Aaron, as the Lord commanded. Zechariah was in what's called the eighth division of this structure established by David. I know that from 1 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 10. Elizabeth was also in the line of Aaron. 
Both parents walked blamelessly according to the law. That's what, that's what we know about them. But they did not have any children because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. When God decides to include people in his plan, age is never an issue he considers. He's the only one who's ever suffered from age discrimination. If he is the one uh, who wants you to do something, to him, those numbers just don't matter. Amen? Wow. Scripture's filled with young and older people accomplishing his plan according to his will. We all need to keep an eye open or an open mind to the Lord's leading and never disqualify ourselves because of some apparent deficiency. Maybe you think of your age or a physical handicap disqualifies you from being used of God in life. You need to set that thinking aside and listen to the Lord's instruction and allow him to work through an obedient attitude. I'll tell you right now, one of the first things I said to the Lord was when he said, I want you to pastor this church. You know what I said to the Lord? But Lord, I'm X number of years old. Do you hear what I just did to God? Is it any different though? I'm in good company. I mean, Zachariah, you know, he said it, you know, Abraham and his wife, they said it, Sarah, to God. Uh, we're too old for these things to happen. I said, well, Father, here's what I'm going to do. You need to know what I prayed. Amen. I'm your pastor. I prayed, Lord, if you, you want me to do that, ask God to do it. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't trying to talk God out of it. And it's stupid to ask God, do you know how old I am? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just ridiculous, right? Do you know how old I am, God? <laughs> of course he knows how old I am. But I have asked God to bless me, to, uh, to keep me healthy, to keep me strong, to keep my mind sharp, and to keep my eyes open, touch my understanding, turn that soil in my heart. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I promise that if you put seed in that soil, I'll water it with the power of prayer, and I'll watch over it, and I know your Holy Ghost will help me. And we will have the word to give to the people. We will have the strength and the energy. And I prayed the same thing for Miss Ruthie. The same thing. All right? We're going to be here together. All right? So we're going to move forward. So you need to set that thinking aside and listen to the Lord's instruction and allow him to work through you uh, to give you an obedient attitude. So let's look at the next thing that we need to look at. The communication of a divine message. Is God talking to you? The communication of a divine message. It was Zechariah's turn to perform his duties as a priest in the temple. As Zechariah had done many times before, he entered the temple to the altar of incense to execute his duties as the people waited outside for him to return. Now listen to this. During this normal routine, God decides to interrupt Zechariah's duties with a very powerful message. God has an interesting way of taking normal routines in life and just communicating his plan. As Zechariah is performing his priestly duties, an angel of the Lord is standing to the right of the altar. He's just doing his thing when off to the right. Now listen to me carefully when I tell you this. Because Zechariah, he got the big boom. He got the big boom. A lot of, a lot of times in the Bible, uh, you know, you have these angels that appear to people and you never hear their names right? This angel identifies himself. And do you know who it is? It's Gabriel. Now, I want to remind you of the story. When Satan 
rebelled in heaven. God did not rise from his throne. Jesus did not rise from his throne. God gave instructions to two angels, Gabriel and Michael. And he told Gabriel and Michael, and Gabriel out. Cast him out. And Gabriel and Michael were big and bad enough to do it. Amen? At God's command, and that's what they did. They cast Lucifer out of heaven. So now this angel, Gabriel, this powerful angel, is standing just off to his right. Can you imagine how startling that must have been for God to send that messenger to talk to you? Well, it's a story about people coming into this world that will help to announce the, the coming of Jesus Christ himself. This is stories about Jesus and the people God prepared and that God revealed the coming of Christ to them before he even revealed it to the rest of the world. So think about this with me. As Zacharias performing his priestly duties, an angel of the Lord is standing at the right of the altar. As is typical in Scripture, when an angel appears to speak to a person, the first words out of their mouth is, do not be afraid. They must know how awesome they are. <laughs> they must know how awesome they appear to be, you know. Or they're well practiced at telling people, come on now, don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid, right? I think it's safe to say that we would be afraid also if an angel showed up to give us a message from God. Because, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you that I'm a better man than Zachariah. Well, you know, I was a cop for 20 years, and I was tough. I had a warrior mentality. No, no, I'm telling you, the angel would have to say, do not be afraid. Uh, to any one of us, amen. This is what God does, and the angel communicates this powerful message to Zachariah. Look at Luke chapter 1. Now, we're going to pick up in verse 13. Luke chapter 1, verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. We learn many things from this passage concerning John the Baptist. We're told he'll be great before the Lord and that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb, demonstrating the sovereignty of God in salvation. And we learn the specifics of his ministry to prepare people for the coming Messiah. So as we engage with the angel's communication, what comes into view is the importance of this character and the reason why he should be part of our Christmas story. I'm getting to why Zechariah needs to be a part of our Christmas story. Without John the Baptist... The prophetic scriptures concerning his ministry would not be fulfilled. How many of you know without Zechariah, would there have been a John the Baptist? Now, I know this. Without John the Baptist, the prophetic scriptures concerning his ministry would not be fulfilled. I learned that from Malachi, chapter, or Malachi 3. Therefore, destroying the authority of God's word. But God is executing his plan in his time with his people. We read these biblical accounts of normal, ordinary people interacting with God's messengers and his message. If we're not careful, we can accuse these people of not listening to what God has instructed. Have you ever been guilty of that? 
I could not believe the arguments that Moses put up with God from a burning bush. And it was God from a burning bush. And he he kept going over and over again about how God created him was not sufficient. I can't speak well. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm an introvert. They didn't have that word back then, did they? I'm not an extrovert, you know. And literally, literally, can you sense the frustration in God while he deals with each one of these things that Moses throws in his face? If we're not careful, we can accuse these people of not listening to what God has instructed. I often wonder how I would respond. I don't believe I would be joyfully jumping up and down because of what God was telling me in that dramatic moment. In fact, I might be tempted to run the other way or look for another sign to verify what God was telling me in that moment. Many did in the New Testament or in the Old Testament or in the Bible. Truth is, God does communicate to all of us in other ways um, through this book. He communicates to us. If you read this book, God communicates to you through this book. Amen? By the power of the Spirit. As I read and engage with God's message to me, I have to ask myself, how obedient am I to his instructions. How obedient am I to his instructions? Zechariah begins a conversation with the angel who's identified as Gabriel and who makes this powerful identifying statement. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak with you and to bring you this good news. Can you imagine that voice of Gabriel, you know? And starts out with, no brag, just fact, I stand in the presence of God. Mm. And I was sent to speak with you and to bring you this, uh, this good news. Gabriel recognized it for what it was. Remember, angels are messengers dispatched by God. And they only communicate what God wants them to say. When we are Gabriel telling Zechariah what will happen, this becomes God's personal message to Zechariah. He doesn't jump for joy, but wonders how the plan will happen. How in the world are you going to do this? I have to admit to you today that if, if God showed up and told me that Ruth and I were going to have another baby at our age, I have to admit I'd say, please no. <laughs> Hold up, Lord. I trust you. I believe you. You don't really have to do this. <laughs> I know who you are, God. <laughs> you know, anyway, I, I don't want to get buried there. Trust me, my wife didn't, I, that ain't in my notes, okay? She didn't know I was going to say that, you know. But I can't imagine Ruth going, okay. <laughs> I, I really just can't, you know. But, but if God had his reasons, he did it. But also I can tell you that Ruthie and I are not on our knees every night. God said, God, please give us another child. Why don't you, while you're at it, throw in twins. You know, throw in a set of twins, Lord. No, no, that's not our prayer. Notice that the angel said to Zechariah, God has heard yours and your wife's prayer, right? All right, let's move on. (laughs) They're both advanced in years, and Elizabeth is barren. It reminds us of Abraham and Sarah. The son Gabriel gives Zechariah comes in the form of a rebuke. Listen to me now. And, And actually, Moses got a rebuke too, if you remember. God finally said, okay, He didn't use these words, but he said, okay, you're an introvert. Your brother is not. He's an extrovert. We'll let him do the talking. We're going to let him speak. Why? God moved the plan around so his plan would be manifest no matter what 
the objections from Moses were, and he was going to do the same thing with Zechariah. So the sign Gabriel gives Zechariah comes in the form of a rebuke. Zechariah will not be able to speak for nine months until the baby's born. Zechariah's time in the temple was longer than expected by the, by the people because of this angelic conversation. When he finally emerges from the temple, he can't talk. Do you know what normally happened when a priest went in there and uh, didn't come out in a timely manner? You know what happened? Did you know that there's a rope tied to his body so they could pull his body out of there? People died in that place. They went in there to, to do their duties, but they weren't properly prepared. You know, they even had bells around the bottom of many of those um, outfits that they wore, and the bell stopped ringing. They called out to them, and if they didn't answer them, they just hauled their body out by rope. Because if they went in there to get the body, they'd die too. But after a, after a protracted period of time, that this message is being given to Zechariah by the angel, he comes out, but he can't talk. He returns home to Elizabeth where she conceives a child. Now, the, the child was born nine months later, so what happened that night? They got busy, right? They, they, they heard, they, he accepted the word of the Lord, talked to his wife about it. She said, well, God said he's going to answer our prayer. They answered their prayer. That's all I have to say about that, all right? When he finally emerges from the temple, he's unable to speak. He returns home to Elizabeth where she conceives a child. This pregnancy will stay with Elizabeth. Uh, this pregnancy will stay with Elizabeth. Well, we know nine months, right? When was the last time you saw God's plan for your life? That's what I want to focus on now. When was the last time you saw God for his plan for your life? And don't sit here and make the mistake of telling me that, well, I didn't know he had a plan for my life. God loves all of us here in this room. I know he has a plan for my life, and I know he has a plan for your life, and if you don't know it, get with the program. Ask God what it is. Let him just relax. It's not anything to get intense over. Just talk to God about it and let him begin to put the pieces in place. And you know what? If you're looking, you can start recognizing the pieces. Amen? For Zachariah and Elizabeth, it appears that at some point they were praying for a child, according to Luke chapter 1, verse 13, and God would answer that prayer, but Zechariah would still wonder. We do the same thing. We want to be used of God, and when he gives us clarity concerning direction, we question his leading. We're no different. As our prayers align to God's will, his plan will be made clear in time, and the only response supposed to be is obedience. That's it. No matter how crazy the plan may appear. We try desperately to elevate a deficiency in life that we might use to disqualify us from a task God's called us to do. We can all relate to Zachariah's action as God revealed his plan. Perhaps you are there right now, questioning the direction in your life. Born. Perhaps this task in your life is what God wanted for you from before you were even born. Think about that. Embrace the task and obey without hesitation. Then watch what God will do in your life. Last point, the divine message in their life becomes reality. Nine months following Gabriel's appearance to Zechariah in the temple, the day came when their child was born. People were gathered around Elizabeth rejoicing with her. They finally had the child they were longing for, a son. The birth of this child was truly the work of God for Zechariah and Elizabeth were old and barren. The birth was nothing short of a miracle. 
If you have children or you're awaiting your first child or whether you have many children, we know the joy of childbirth if you have children and the excitement others share with us in these moments, especially when conception has been difficult. And that happens. This is a picture we see in the text as a new baby boy was born into the world and others have gathered around to celebrate. According to the Jewish law, on the eighth day following the birth, and in accordance with the Lord, Zechariah and Elizabeth brought their child to be circumcised. According to Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, they were just obeying the law. And to name him. It was common to name the child after his father. So everyone expected this boy to be named Zechariah. However, as God had instructed them, Elizabeth and Zechariah named their boy John. People were confused at this name because no one in the family was named John. This amazes me. Do you know that's one of the reasons why God struck Zechariah and wouldn't let him speak anymore? He wanted to argue with the angel about what the baby's name was going to be. He wanted to argue about her having a baby. He wanted to argue about what the name, and he was arguing, 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 talking about what he considered to be the disqualifiers. And finally, Gabriel said, you're not going to talk again. Until, right? Isn't that amazing? So at this moment, after nine months of silence, Zechariah was able to speak. As he opened his mouth, he began by blessing God. He had nine months to think about it, right? What he should say to God. He opens his mouth and he begins blessing God. The forerunner of the Messiah has been born and his task is set before him. As John grows and develops his life, he's prepared for a very important task. To prepare people for the Messiah's appearance. So in conclusion, you may find yourself connecting to a character while being challenged. Zechariah was praying that God would give him and his wife a child. As Zechariah was praying that God would give him and his wife the child they so longed to have. As Zechariah performed his duty as a priest, God interrupted his task with a divine announcement. You, 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 you may be praying. You may be praying for God's leading in your life. And God's calling you to change jobs. Or maybe to marry. Or not marry. Or go into the ministry. I mean, the list is long, isn't it? Maybe you're thinking as Zachariah did. How can this be? God knows about your life what you're putting in that space that is causing you to miss out on God's plan. Because that's what all those people who heard God's plan, they tried to put something else in that space. I'm too old. We're too old. We're, you know, I can't speak. I'm an introvert. All of those things that we tried hard to stuff into that space, only one thing can fit into that space, and that's obedience to God. God knows your life. As we seek and pray for God's will and plan in our lives, we step out to obey regardless of what we think is a deficiency. We began to see the amazing work of God in our lives, which causes us to magnify and glorify Him, which is the ultimate purpose of His calling in our lives. Last line. May we look beyond our issues and trust God for His work to be done through our lives for his glory. Amen. I think this is a good first step in the characters of Christmas. Amen.
There's something for us to learn over the next six weeks in the lives of all the people we're going to look at. Never diminish. Some people have diminished the things that God has laid in their hearts and lives. You know, the, the instructions he's given them. The ministry he's called them to or the plan that he has for them. And we've diminished the importance of it until it's so distant and faint. And God wants to resurrect those plans. Amen. God wants us to listen. You know, you say, well, you know, I, I, I mean, you hear me mention John Wesley a lot. Man, that guy's prayer life is so inspirational to me. And, and, and there have been times in my life when I've said, well, I wish God would use me like a John Wesley or a John, uh, a John Wesley or even a Billy Graham or, you know, um, read the life of Smith Wigglesworth. How many of you ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? At the beginning of the last century, um, it, he's the only person I know of that in his lifetime in ministry, God answered his prayers and raised eight different people from the dead. I wasn't there, you know, I didn't see it. But these accounts, these records of these eight people that he prayed for, that God raised from the dead, one of them was his wife, and she was madder than a wet hen at him because she left heaven to come back here. Trust me, once you get to heaven, you kind of want to hang around. Amen? And, and no matter how much your husband loves you, him praying for God to raise you from the dead and bring you back from heaven turned out to be not such a great idea because <laughs> she was upset with him about it. Now, you know, you can, you can flush that story if you want to. You don't have to believe it. We'll know one day when we get to heaven, right? We're going to know. I'm going to tell you this one more story, and I'm going to pray for you. It's early yet. We're, we're good, right? You good? Just don't take me two minutes. He showed up at a funeral one day and packed out house, church, and God tells him, get that man out of that coffin and pray for him. I'm going to raise him from the dead. So, without hesitation, Smith Wigglesworth stands up, walks up there and tells the people with him, get everybody out of this room. It's a good idea. How many of you know you don't want to be hauling this someone's beloved up out of the box, you know, to mess with him? You know, in front of other family members and stuff, they may want to get upset about that. They put everybody out in front of the church, and he and his friends got this man's body up out of the coffin, stood him up against the wall, held him against the wall, prayed for him, and then stepped back and let him go, and the body fell to the floor, right? He said, pick him up. Pick him up again. Press him up against the wall. Had hands on him, prayed for him, let him go, and he hit the floor. Did it again. Stood him up against the wall. Laid hands on him. Prayed for him and let him go. Now, I've got to tell you, about the third time he hit that floor, I'd be thinking, boys, I don't know what y'all are listening to here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But Smith Wigglesworth said, God told me. So they kept picking him up. They kept putting him up against the wall. They kept praying for him until he came back to life. I don't know how many times they picked him up off that floor. But God raised that man from the dead. Will you ever reach a point in your lifetime when God tells you something that you're going to be that obedient? You can, you can make up your mind today. The story's not real. I don't care. We get to heaven, we're going to know. We'll get to meet Smith Wigglesworth himself. All right? And we'll get to hear the story from him. 
All right? Uh, I don't know why we wouldn't meet the man that God raised from the dead. All right? So, my point being, how outrageous does God have to be before you flush on what he's telling you to do? It's a good question, isn't it? God's pretty outrageous. Amen? You know, I'm praying for some pretty outrageous things. I don't make any bones about it. And, and let's just say that I stand up here one day and, and, and the testimony standing next to me. It shouldn't ought to be standing next to me. I'm not talking about raising something from one of the dead, but I'm talking about people getting up from the sick bed that doctors are saying are dying, you know. And they're standing next to me. What is that going to mean to me? It's going to mean to me that God has great plans for people. For me, all we are are vessels. That's all we are. We're conduits for the Holy Spirit to move through. Amen? How many of you want to be a clean conduit for the Holy Ghost? Then stand up. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for this message today. Thank you for that encounter between Gabriel and uh, Zechariah. Thank you for John the Baptist and his ministry. Father, I, I love it when I hear that story of how John leapt in his mother's womb at the presence of a pregnant woman named Mary. And it says, Father, that you filled John with your Holy Spirit right there in the womb. What dynamic sovereignty. What a great and mighty and sovereign God you are. Thank you, Father, for filling John the Baptist with the Holy Ghost in the womb. Father, I want to thank you for Christmas. We so desperately need, Father, to have our perspective touched by your Holy Ghost this Christmas season especially. May it all be about your Son, Jesus Christ, your righteous and holy Son. But Father, we sure are uh, dwelling a bit here today on how much joy the season brings us. Let it be for all the right reasons. Guide us by your Holy Ghost. Lord, watch over us today as we leave this building. May we take this message with us. May we be listening carefully to the leading of your Spirit in our lives, and may we be obedient, and may we not be people who try to raise all kinds of excuses. Father, help us just to relax and trust you and let you fill in all the puzzle pieces and work out all the details and watch what you do. Father, may we give up all the things in our lives by giving the power of your Spirit that hinder your plans from being fulfilled in us. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thanks for cleansing us afresh and anew with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Lamb's book of life and our names therein. Once again, Lord, help us to live this day for you and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. You know, while you're fellowshipping together, I'm going to tell you this real quick. I think it's ironic. I was, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. I was raised in a Southern Baptist church where we didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what's the first account we have of someone being filled with the Holy Ghost? It was a Baptist <laughs> in his mother's womb. I think that's pretty powerful. Amen. I think it's pretty powerful. God bless you. Fellowship together before you leave today.